Welcome to another edition of Turned Out a Punk. I'm your host, Damien Abraham, and once again, I am bringing you a conversation with someone who grew up listening to punk, may or may not still be involved in punk, but had their life changed by the genre in a major way. And today on the show, a legend, Barry Hensler of the Necros, of Big Chief, of Motor Booty fanzine, of Smegma Journal fanzine, all of that in a second. But first, if you'd like to find me on the internet, you can find me on various forms of social media at Left for Damien. There is an email address, turnedapunkpodcast at gmail.com. That's checked by my brother and show producer and, and guest booker most of the time. Not this week, but most of the time. Oh, actually, he did he did book this one too. So thank you, Tristan, for doing that. Tristan Abraham. Uh, he will check those messages and get them to me. There's also a Tumblr page. Uh, but now that we're not allowed to post porn on there, we're probably not going to post on there anymore. There's also uh, ways to support the show. The best way to support the show is by subscribing to it, rating it on whatever your preferred platform of podcast is. You can also just tell all your friends. That's the best way to support the show. Tell everyone you know. And actually, I'm kind of lying. The best way to support the show is the way Vans is doing, which is by making me not have to pay for it out of my own pocket. Vans came on board a couple years ago and said, dude, just stop paying for this out of your own pocket, and uh, we will help you cover the costs. And yeah, so thank you so much to Vans. They let me book whoever I want. So that's why this podcast to me is so much fun. It's because one week I'll have like, you know, random person A from a band. Next week I'll have a comedian, maybe a wrestler, but we're all connected by punk. And I've got some killer ones coming up in the new year. Oh my gosh. Woo, it's going to be nuts. But first, I got to get to Barry Hensler. Now, this one took a while to come out because I had to like, you know, uh, go through and and fix it up and make it sound a little bit better because of some technical problems. But I, I think it sounds cool now. And also, it is so wicked with information. There is so much cool stuff in this episode. Barry is a hilarious guy. I met him years ago after a fucked up show. He's one of the first people. I don't think this is even on the podcast, but he's legitimately one of the first people that I, you know, was like, that's a fucking legend that was like, Hey, I like your band. So I owe Barry uh, a huge thank you for, you know, uh, for doing that to me. It made me feel super awesome back then. You know, we hung out, went to his plays. It was a fun night. And here we are reconnecting all these years later for your listening enjoyment. And of course, this time around, I recorded it. So this time around, I got to ask him all the nerdy questions that don't feel comfortable to ask in sort of just like a normal social setting. That's why you need a podcast. So if you're if you want to ask some awkward questions, start a podcast. Just ask Mark Marin. So Barry came on the show, and yeah, we, we had a, a real fun time talking. Um, you will hear it all right here. Not too many notes to get to. Uh, the one note that I do have to say is I like your flesh fanzine, you know? I do like your flesh fanzine. Uh, you'll, that'll make sense in the context of the show. So that's it. The show's about to start. Um, huge announcement at the end coming up. Uh, we're starting to get ready for... Um, some big changes in the new year. So uh, that will be coming to you after the show. So stay tuned for that. Uh, and that's it. So sit back, relax, and enjoy Barry Hensler on Turned Out a Punk. Barry, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me on. Well, as I was just telling you off air, this is something that I've wanted to do for a while. There's a... Uh, uh, a real uh, 
depth of stuff for us to sink into with be it zines or bands or multiple bands that you've been in. So, uh, yeah, well, I just can't wait to get started. Excellent. Well, I got to start it off the way I start them all off, which is how'd you get into punk? Do you remember the first time you ever came across the genre? Uh, you know, I know you asked this, so I've, I've been thinking about this and I really have to, I have to say that it's, uh, schools out by Alice Cooper to me. Um, at the time it just seemed like this crazy revolutionary revelation kind of a, like a discovery for me. Cause you know, I listened to like lots of different rock and whatever. And like, we I come from a pretty musical household and parents are always really into music and whatnot. And, but that song was like, cause I hated school already. And I was like, like nine, maybe almost 10. And it was, it was, you know, right on sort of the verging of not being like a little kid really. Mm -hmm. And, and, uh, and then just from there, I just discovered, you know, Bowie and like Lou Reed and Velvet Underground and, and Iggy Pop's records and, and then the Stooges and MC5, you know, just cause from the area. But I, it definitely was like the door was definitely that song, you know, by Alice Cooper. It's funny because Alice Cooper, I would think, would come up more on this show as being people's gateway. And people always say, like, you know, Kiss, and they and they mention kind of Alice Cooper offhand. But to me, yeah, Alice Cooper sonically, like that's that's definitely like the template. Yeah, yeah, and you know, you had Thurston Thurston Moore on recently, and and. I mean, you listen to Sonic Youth and like, man, clearly they love the Love It to Death record. Mm -hmm. You know, there's like a lot on that record that that you hear in Sonic Youth, you know, that yeah. that people probably wouldn't think. I mean, they wouldn't generally like, you know, think about that, you know. And, and also with, with Alice Cooper, it's like so many people probably don't mention it because, you know, he he didn't die and he like went on to make really shitty records, you know. <laughs> yeah, the same could be said about Kiss. It's like, you know what I mean? It's like he take, <laughs> took a shit on his legacy. Like, yeah. Like, like, but because the, the original Alice Cooper records are just sick. Yeah. You know? But then, but welcome to my nightmare, man. It's just it got bad quickly. <laughs> I mean, it really did. And, you know, I mean, some people like will say that record, that record is, you know. Maybe the last good one, but I, I don't think so. Yeah, and then yeah. and then of course he did Wayne's World, right? So uh, yeah, know. I don't even I don't even remember that. But you know, whatever. I mean, good good for good for him for sure to to, to be able to like play forever and ever and ever like he has. But still, mm -hmm. the, the amazingness of the Alice Cooper original group records are just you know they're pretty great. So and then like you know. With all like the weird '80s hair metal, Alice Cooper, you know, it's just like a bummer, you know. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's definitely though that that Arizona sun, I guess, right? Like it just produces some real freaked out music. I don't know. Isn't that like where all like the the hair metal people went to die? Right? <laughs> was it in Arizona? In Arizona, yeah, they were <laughs> sort of retired there. I thought that was the story, like Phoenix or whatever. I don't know. They're hanging out with Frank I, discussion. I don't want to step on any any toes about any of this stuff. I, you know, yeah. that's just what I heard. <laughs> where did um and where'd you kind of go from this, you know, finding all these records? And like were they playing the Stooges and the MC5 kind of on rock radio? No, no, I don't ever remember. They may have been, but no, I don't I don't remember. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, not at all. And 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 not the Velvet Underground or <clears throat> Yeah. You know, I think I think David they're playing maybe David Bowie records that like, you know, he immediately got embraced or whatever. So um where would you hear about this stuff then? I mean, I don't even I don't even remember where I heard of Alice Cooper. I think I just heard it on the radio because that was a hit. Mm-hmm. You know, but with some of the more esoteric stuff, like like where were you finding out about like you know the MC Five? Like obviously it, from the area and the Stooges. Just uh, a neighbor's older brother had that had kick out the jams. Awesome. And used to just you know play the shit out of it, and I heard <laughs> it over there. And and uh, plus our little crew of people, like the guitar player from the Necros, Andy, uh, he had two older sisters. And they were really into music, and there was sort of this older, old, like older brothers and sisters of most of my friends, and and we would hear about music from them. Like I think you know, even even a little later, uh, Todd Swallow, the drummer of the Necros, his his brother went away to college and came back for a Christmas break or whatever, and had like uh, this comp on vertigo called new wave and it had like the damned and like it's all kind of like weird seven general 77 stuff and some like other sort of oddities alongside it and uh and i think he had the first damned album and so I've, i'm sure that that's where i heard the heard those records and that that comp for sure were you kind of like you know? aware of punk from just like the general media prior to that yeah yeah of course i mean you know, I got this. Got the Sex Pistols record. If my dad read a review of it in Rolling Stone, and he said, "I don't remember if it was even a positive review, but he said something about he said that it. He, oh, you know, we need to hear. You know, need to hear that because he's really into the Stones. Like, get that, get your Yaya's record out. Was was that live Stones record was like a staple of our household. You know, on ten, like super loud and shit. So, uh, for, you know, it would be no big deal that he would, he would also dig the sex pistols or whatever. There was never any music rebellion between my parents and I in any way, you know? Yeah. Although, although later I remember, remember playing, uh, agitated by the electric eels really loud and then freaking out about that. <laughs> They're like, what is that? You know? Uh. <laughs> and then, and then, you know, like the sex pistols did, did toured in the states and you know that was all over the media Mm -hmm. and i I remember todd swalla had uh pictures of the sex pistols from time magazine taped (laughs) taped to the underside of a skateboard that's awesome (laughs) you know Uh, and then also like skateboarder magazine started sort of you know you'd see tony alva had gotten like a punk haircut and like Steve Olson's wearing like crazy sunglasses and like picking his nose, like looking like Sid Vicious or something. You know what I mean? There's, yeah. you know, all that stuff was kind of around, but and definitely though, not you really had to look for it. It wasn't in, and to, to be punk rock in like Maumee, Ohio at that time, and people would just throw bottles at you mm-hmm. from their cars and shit like that. You know, it was just like, how dare you be interesting? You know, like that kind of a thing. So what was the first concert you went to? Like not even like punk show or like just even music wise. Cause it sounds like your parents were probably going to shows in some capacity. Yeah. Uh, I saw the grateful dead at, uh, West park in Ann Arbor. <laughs> That's awesome. And then the Almond brothers before they got signed 
my family moved to Atlanta for a while and I think I was probably five. And, uh, and then when we, we moved up to Maumee from Atlanta, my dad got a job teaching at the university of Toledo and Pink Floyd were playing there and they were only doing like five U S shows. And for some reason, Toledo was one of them. And so I saw them when I was seven. Uh, and there, there's a, there's a uh, MP3 bootleg of that online, of that gig. I've heard it again. And they had this amazing sound system. They, they set up in the, they set up in the center of this field house and they put like four speakers around the whole thing. And they had like a, a joystick that they could just pan all the way around. Oh, crazy! You know, like from, from speaker to speaker to speaker. Yeah, it was it was insane. So it's like almost like a, they were doing like a UFO type show. Yeah, yeah, and it was like the first U.S. tour without Sid Barrett, I think. Oh, that's wild! They were doing, you know, they were doing "Careful with That Axe, Eugene." You know, Astronomy yeah. Domine" or whatever. You know. Um, so, how old were you at that dead show? Four. <laughs> That's that's amazing. My, this friend, this friend of my my parents calls up and said the Grateful Dead are setting up in our backyard, and because there was a huge apartment building that that abutted uh, West Park, <laughs> and so we just went over there and like sat, just sat, you know, and watched them play. You know, it was totally like the, you know, we see like news clips of like filthy hippies being filthy hippies. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It was like full on that. I, mean, I could remember, you know, I was old enough to remember that. It was like almost, you know, preschool age. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it was, you know, wow. full on that sort of thing. There's all these people dressed in, in like snake patterned clothing, uh, <laughs> holding hands and like running around this band show. It looked like a snake. <laughs> and it was crazy, man, you know. <laughs> that would be a, an amazing experience as a four-year-old. I, uh... Yeah, yeah. And then, and then, uh, when I was nine, I saw Alice Cooper at the Toledo Sports Arena with ZZ Top opening, and it was the show that they pulled and said that the drummer got uh, an M80 broke glass and, and blinded the drummer of Alice Cooper's band. Oh wow! Neil yeah. Smith. And they only played two songs. They played "Hello, Hooray," and "Elected," and then they shut the concert down. And it was just this crazy, huge riot of, you know, of just disappointed, in, disappointed, bitter Toledoans, you know, <laughs> Toledo burnout kids. And uh, uh, it's written that, that in that concert's written about in the Bob Green book, Billion Dollar Babies. So I saw Alice Cooper play two songs. <laughs> That's incredible. <laughs> So, yeah, and then I just have been going to gigs ever since, you know. Were you playing music uh, at all at this point? Like, did you have any interest in? No, I, I had gotten a guitar when I was seven and an amp, and I went for one lesson, and I remember leaving and my dad talking to the instructor. He goes, well, is he Eric Clapton yet? They're totally, like, making fun of me. I was a little kid playing guitar. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, I wanted to get feedback because I'd had Hendrix, Are You Experienced? I had that record and I was trying to get feedback with this little shitty amp. I had no idea about, you know, any, any, 
any of that kind of stuff. And my mom would kept yelling at me to quit making noise and to actually practice. <laughs> and so then I just, I just stopped. I just, I, I didn't, I didn't take any more lessons and I just sort of put the, put the guitar away. And then, but that was the first Necros guitar. It was a, a little Tisco Del Rey guitar. And that was the very first Necros guitar that Andy played for, you know, a year or so until like it got busted at a party, you know? <laughs> So was it kind of like all you guys discovering punk together, you know, as like a, as like a, a group type thing? Yeah, pretty much. And what was like, you know, once you kind of get that comp. I mean, and- we, we all knew each other from skateboarding, you know, mm-hmm. and we'd go to the skate park and whatnot and, and be picked up by someone's parents and all be riding in the same car. You know, talk about like, I don't know. I, make just make it up like as a concept we're the necros you know or whatever i mean but you gotta understand it was like you know 13 14 years old you know yeah yeah and, no absolutely and no one and it wasn't like we had anyone really like there was no examples kind of of well my you know my cousin plays guitar or like you know there was no sort of not, not that you know like i don't want to say support system but i mean even even no examples Mm-hmm. I mean, it was just literally, you know, I think Andy knew a few chords from playing at camp or something. And, and Todd had a drum set and he had a bass and his family's very musical. His mom played piano and stuff like that. And, and she, so like she'd let us practice in their, and just make this horrendous fucking racket, you know? And then it got, and then it got sort of like, you know, a little bit less, uh, horrendous, you know, mm-hmm. but at the start, man, it was just, and when you guys first started, like what, what records were you kind of getting at that time? Like what was informing the early, early stuff? You know, uh, the Stooges and, and, and the, Cl- the clash, like when we, one time we tried to cover 1977. It was so shitty. It was just like a, it was, it was, we, it was like one of our first shows and, and uh, we didn't even really kind of know it. Like we just sort of trying to <laughs> wing it. And you got to understand it was just so, so amateurish, you know, <laughs> and this friend, this, it, did you, re- did you read that, that uh, Tony Rettman book? Absolutely. Uh, yeah. All right. All right. So, you know, I talk about my friend, Martin Deck, this guy's Zog. He just comes right up. And he's like, you guys just sucked. <laughs> you know, and it wasn't, even, you know, it wasn't even a thing like, like, uh, you know, where you go up and, and you go up to someone and they're bad. Man, the audience really heard you. Yeah. <laughs> you guys are having a blast up there. Like some sort of, you know, some <laughs> sort of way to like not commit to saying you were bad. Yeah. You know, he just was out and out and we were just like, yeah, it's so <laughs> terrible. Like it, like it, it just seemed like it's, it, the song went on forever and we just sort of with it, like, it seemed like it started and stopped and just. <laughs> so bad, you know. Where were you picking up records from? Like you mentioned, the Electric Eels. Was it like was there a local record store? Were you mail ordering at this time? Early on, we had uh, this place called Boogie Records, and and for some reason, they you know they got sort of like the seventy seven era records, and none they never sold. Mm-hmm. So. You know, a little later on, like, you know, I picked up like, uh, 
like a copy of Spiral Scratch that doesn't say featuring Howard DeVoto. Oh, wow. Yeah. You know, like I walk in and this, this guy, Mike Athenis, he's there. He's like, oh, we were playing this Buzzcocks record. I'm like, oh, really? And, and he hands it to me and I go, can I buy it? He goes, yeah, two bucks. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, my God. And, and then, uh, you know, so all the 77 era stuff, it sort of never sold at this place. So it went on sale. And I got uh, the first suicide record on Red Star for like $2 and just, you know, all the, you know, like the, f- the first couple cramps records on Vengeance. Wow. One of, one of with the, the hand painted uh, logo and light bulb that glows in the dark. The human fly. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. That's- you know, and, and I, then I came to find out that a lot of those records were distributed by this guy, Johnny Dromet, that had a store in Cleveland called The Drone. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. and we ran into this guy at a Tubes concert, and he was talking about getting a child molester's single. And uh, and he had gotten at this place, The Drone. We were like, what? And it was in Cleveland. So we went just as soon as we found out there was this record store, we just drove there. Mm-hmm. And that's like 90 miles away. And I think it was like the first week I had my license, we drove there. Wow, that's awesome. What was the first, do you remember some of the first stuff you picked up there? Or like, Yeah, all the Pagan singles. Yeah. The first B-52s, uh, Perubu, a modern dance, and and uh, and a, boot, a bootleg called the U-Men that, that uh, they had actually done. And that came in a in a dub housing sleeve, spray painted over. Oh, that's so sick! Yeah, I would never um, seen that. And and uh, I'm trying to think what else. Oh, the first teardrop explodes single I got there. Yeah, they, you know we just save up money for and 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 just you know race there and and. But then after that, we discovered going to Ann Arbor, mm-hmm. and that was only like forty minutes away. And School Kids Records was there. And so anything good that was coming out, we could get at school kids. Were you like aware of the pagans? Like, obviously, I guess you were probably aware of Perubu by that point. But like, were you aware yeah, of the pagans? Yeah, I was previously aware of, of Perubu before going to the Drome. Yeah. And that's this guy, Tim Story, who recorded the first Necro single, uh, who's, who has like records on Wyndham Hill. He's like, a, has like, you know, like a synthesizer new age kind of music who recorded that sex drive record on a four track. He <laughs> told me about, he told me about Perubu. Okay. And, 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 uh, and he worked at a record store where I got the same day. I hate the rich by the Dills and the yes. first zero single wild weekend. Oh, that's oh, awesome. No beat, no, beat your heart out. Yeah. And I still have those same copies, but yeah, yeah. Uh, and that was just like this mall record store. I, I, it was like discount records or some generic name. And they had like a little, um, box of singles just randomly mm-hmm. and he worked there and and so you know he tell us about good records and whatnot and, and i found out about perubu via him so other than and also him, and also sorry. that record uh uh nadir's last chance or whatever by pete ham peter hamill well, what is that record he's like from vandergraaf generator but this was like this sort of s- solo record that was like like uh, kind of glam rock like I think of it as like this sibling record to Aladdin Sane and maybe 
either the slider or electric warrior by t-rex yeah oh that's awesome like it has that sort of that sort of thing going on but the but the guy is you know fandograph generator more like this sort of prog rock band mm -hmm. you know very sort of mannered and and uh and this this is like a uh kind of punk you know and, and and glam at the same time you know so where were you kind of be, like was other than him telling you about these records was like where else were you finding out about this stuff that was coming out uh we get getting fanzines like slash and uh search and destroy and mm -hmm. and eventually flip side and 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 uh the bomb catalog yeah, you know, I'd mail order records. I'd mail order records from Bomp. You know, because eventually, you know, Boogie Records just, they didn't have very much, and they never really like kept up with anything. And what? But once we discovered School Kids, it didn't matter. We would just go there, and like that, you know, that place was just you know anything good coming out, they would have it. When did you guys start doing Smegma Journal? Maybe like late seventy eight early 79 wow that's crazy so when was what was informing that was it like these zines that you're kind of picking up or like what was i've never actually you know, seen a copy you know man the first couple issues i don't even know you know like i don't think i'd seen slash or you know i mean there's no i don't even know what inspired me to do a magazine it's it it just it makes no sense you know yeah. <laughs> And no one, it wasn't like, oh, so-and-so has a good magazine. I'm going to try to do a magazine. It was just like this, <laughs> you know, like we're the type of make, making it with like a typewriter on, on white paper and like graphics stolen from other, you know, <laughs> just random graphics from Life magazine or just, just, you know, it was, there was no, there was no layout programs or, you know, the earliest just didn't even have like letter set lettering or, you know, where you had to hand rub the letters on and like you know tight like doing any sort of typesetting you know there's nothing like <laughs> there's nothing like that going on and we initially didn't know to like halftone photos so just stuff would just look like crap you yeah. know we'd get, yeah. it, we'd get it like offset printed and um but you know eventually eventually it got better but it was never good it you know it doesn't ever need to be unearthed and and you know like todd novak from Hozak Records. He's like, "What about Smegma Journal?" And I'm like, "What about it?" Because <laughs> you know, he cause he reissues like he did that denim delinquent thing, and yeah. and yeah, which is great. I mean, I dig it. I dig all that stuff, you know, for sure. But you know, it's it's not of the the caliber to be uh, reissued in any way. You know, it's funny because you 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 strike me as like such a collector, and I've been to your your house. I've seen your collection. You are a collector, yeah. but oh, yeah. at the same time, you're like you know, very reluctant to let yourself be, uh, archived. It seems. Well, well, I mean, I mean, the, the reason the necro stuff's never been reissued is just, it's never been worked out. Okay. You know, there, there's been thing, you know, close calls, you know, there's been contracts presented and then massive downsizing of the label mm -hmm. that went on. And, and I, cause I guess it still exists. And it isn't uh, it isn't me saying no that you know that stuff should you know you can get all of it on the internet mm -hmm. you know uh, so that's not a 
the reluctance is more like it's just it's never been worked out. You know, there's been near passes and and whatnot. And there's even you know there was talk about like Southern Lord doing something, and now there's talk that you know uh, Third Man, because Dave Buick's a good friend of ours who works there. Mm-hmm. And he's talking to Andy. Oh, you know, you want to reissue this, and then and then Corey, you know, he wants to, but you know, there's been no, there's never been anything nailed down, and and uh, that's you know, that's the main deal. It's there's no animosity. There's no one like somebody. You know, I saw someone online saying I'm holding the stuff hostage. <laughs> yeah, it's like you know, and then other people are like, Corey destroyed all the masters. <laughs> You know, there's, it's just way less dramatic than that, man. So, well, I think it's funny because it's just like you know, you guys, and I guess, I guess SSD too, and DYS, but like you know, there's just so few bands that are left kind of unreissued at this point, and, yeah. and and especially one who's like never been really reissued. Yeah, but but we will get there because we are just at the beginning of this journey, my friend. Okay, um, so where did you kind of go? Like, what was the first thing that you saw that was a punk show? Was it you guys playing your own shows? Let me see. Like, you saw the tubes, um, which is funny because that's yeah. also where the germs – That was like you the know, so like the, the, uh, the Clash and the Ramones and Devo on Duty Now for the Future Tour and, and – uh, uh, I'm trying to – Previous to that, like seeing the Ramones or whatever. Although I remember see it, seeing it, and 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 uh, Johnny Ramone was like real unshaven. <laughs> really? And, was, and yeah, he was he was, and I it, it was just weirdly noticeable. And I was thinking, these guys are like fifty. <laughs> I was, you know what I'm saying? It was so like a, uh, you know what I mean? Like they're already sort of like, eh. and but they were great. I mean, it was you know end of the century, I think. Maybe. Yeah. I think, what an awesome yeah. show. Who opened that show? Do you remember? Or was no, there no they, they opened for Joe Jackson. Oh, wow. And Joe Jackson was like, well, I've been destroyed. You know, because, <laughs> cause, uh, I'm, you know, I'm not thinking if it was Luke Sharp or I'm the man. It was one of the, you know, those records were pretty big. They made mm-hmm. like big pop records, you know, mm-hmm. with like a, a punk-ish flourish. You know? Oh yeah, it's power pop. Total like that's like pure power pop stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, but they, you know, I guess it was so it would they he would warrant them opening for him, mm-hmm. I guess. You know, popularity at that point, which is it's just strange to think about. And even he was a little like whoa about it. You know, he was knowing knowing for sure like it's the Ramones, man. You know. <laughs> Give them credit where credit's due. Absolutely. And they saw like the the clash on the uh give them enough rope tour like a um in in like seventy-nine and the uh undertones opened. They were never heard of them at all and they were came out and they just blasted. They were great. That's awesome. And and then David Johansson played the middle and it was uh he ran around putting dumb hats on his band. <laughs> It was really like I don't know. I I knew not to expect the dolls. Like I knew of his solo record, you know. Yeah. But it was really I don't know. It was I don't know. <laughs> and then the class came out and just fucking destroyed for like forty five minutes. And the sound was super crisp, and they did Armageddon time, 
And uh, I'm trying to, what is that other uh, kind of dubby, dubby track that they did? And, it, and the sound man was like really smart with it and doing all these like long echoes. So it sounded like dub, like real dub. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, and then, and then at the, at the end, I don't know what went wrong, but I, it seemed like it was either a roadie or someone who had gotten on the stage and, and Joe Strummer like kicked him in the chest really hard. <laughs> and the show was done. And we all thought it was like a roadie or something, but for all I know, it was just some freak on the stage or whatever, <laughs> you know. But yeah, man, I mean, they were they were worth all the sort of hype that they got for sure. And then I saw them the next year at the Motor City Roller Rink in London Calling. Mm-hmm. I thought it was shit. I was going to say, I, I, I'm not a huge fan of that record, so. Oh, man, I, I just thought that record sucked. And yes. I thought they were fucking terrible and they had a keyboard player it was like keyboard the keyboards were like really forward in the mix <laughs> it's weird I'm, I'm just talking all this shit it's like the clash one of the mightiest bands ever and like what the fuck did i ever do really you know what i mean i'm here i'm, I'm just to- but i'm just telling you i'm just telling it like i saw it i i will I, I that's the great divide i think in punk rock and people that i've had on this podcast and like in the very early episodes i ask that question all the time like yeah. sex pistols or the clash um and I've stopped asking it because I realize now, like, there's a, a wide rainbow of punk out people, there. People mostly just go Cockney rejects. <laughs> well, no, but I, I do find like it's it's amazing how many people just you know don't get the Clash after that record or at that record. Yeah. Uh, Although you know, around me, that same me time, especially around that same time, I saw. PIL doing all the cuts from Metal Box. Yeah. At that, at that same venue, it was like this. They had a huge PA at this. It was a, a big roller rink in Detroit and, and uh, just a huge stacks of speakers, it seemed like. And that they sounded great, man. They were they were really amazing. And I loved that record. Especially those first, you know, the first album and, and Metal Box. And they just had the, you know, the just the really good sort of thunderous bass and mm-hmm. the kind of tribally drums and shit. Yeah, those was, singles are incredible too. Yeah, yeah. Um, just like yeah, you're right. Like a a band that, and maybe it's because, like you said, like Alice Cooper. Maybe it's because a certain member has soiled the legacy a little bit. But like, yeah, yeah, a band sure. that I don't think gets revisited enough in the way that they kind of sonically deserve. Oh yeah. Uh, what were like the what was kind of happening locally around you? Like, what were you taking in as far as like what was happening punk wise uh, in Ohio at the time? You know, there was nothing going on where we were. Mm-hmm. We had to just we had to go to Ann Arbor, Detroit, or sometimes we'd go to over to Windsor because Windsor actually Windsor, Ontario, swings south under Detroit, kind of. Oh yeah. And, and they had, first of all, they had drinking age of 19 <laughs> and they usually didn't even enforce, they didn't even care, but, uh, in Detroit was 21. So it was really hard to, you know, unless you had a good fake ID and, you know, when I was 16, I looked like I was 11. You know? okay. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so we, and we had friends there, so we would, we would go over there, but man, there was nothing going on in Ohio for sure. Ohio's just... You know, I mean, you know, 
down in Dayton, there was like toxic reasons. And mm -hmm. I mean, there was obviously shit going on in Cleveland and, and whatnot, but right where we were, there was nothing. So we, we just had to go uh, and find it, you know? It, what bands were you, were you seeing punk bands in Windsor? Like I think the spies are from there. Yeah. 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 I saw the spies and I saw the dry heaves. They oh, all, fucking were, awesome. Both those bands, both those bands played around. And then, and then later one of them became this band, the hard tops that were pretty decent. What the hard tops sound like? They were like, I'm trying to think if it was, I think it was guys from the spies and they just had a more like modish sort of a poppier, vibe than than uh than the spies did mm -hmm. you know even though the spies i guess are pretty poppy those bands were all kind of i don't know i i wasn't particularly i was like yeah <laughs> you know we just didn't think much of it even though at, the, at that point our band was just completely miserable but you know <laughs> i still didn't give a shit i wasn't you know not the drives uh, even yeah oh i love that <laughs> yeah, single man. You know, I gotta, I gotta go back and listen to it. I gotta, you know. So getting back to Windsor, it's it's a university town. You know, it's kind of everything's sort of based in and around the University of Windsor. Yeah. So there was just always sort of lots of parties and lots of people hanging out. It, it, they had like a like a cool sort of community of freaks, you know. Uh, and then Detroit, we would go there for anything we could get into. You know, and then eventually we got fake IDs and would would be able to get into bookies. And I, you know, I said said it in uh, in that Repman book. You know, I just sort of, uh, you know, there wasn't that much going on. You know, I, I can't really name anything that was really worth the shit. That twenty seven single is really good. Yeah, but by the time any, but you know that the main guy he like quit like right away. You know, I actually saw them open for PIL. Do you, are you familiar with that single? I love that seven inch. Yeah. All right, cool. Yeah, it's great. I just listened to it the other day. It still sounds sick. You know, I like uh, that Tremor Records. Is it Tremor Records or that Detroit? Yeah, label? yeah, that whole scene. What's that? I Hammer was, Damage. I think is one of them. Cold Cock too is pretty. Sick. Hammer Damage. I thought were from Cleveland. Oh, maybe you're right. Sorry, I'm maybe I'm mistaken on that. You're right. Cold Cock though is is. Uh, they were from Detroit or sort of, I think uh, Vince Bannon was from Windsor, but uh, you know, close enough. What about Tommy uh, trash? Do you ever hear that single? No. Okay. That's another just random Detroit record. I've picked up on, on trips to Detroit and stuff. You so. know, uh, do, you, do you like that Matt gimmick record? What's on the cover of that? It's called Detroit Renaissance 79 and it's the Renaissance center. And no, do I don't think two, I've seen they that. They do two unreleased Stooges songs on it. Whoa, that's fucking awesome! <laughs> from from going to gigs at the Grandy, they they you know, and there's there's songs that I've heard on Stooges bootlegs. That's amazing. Yeah, and but it was recorded in '79, and it's you probably know the band the Punks, right? Oh yeah, yeah. It's it's just basically an iteration of that band. Oh, that's with crazy. you know a few like the the same singer, and and like uh you know I don't know who who's different, but you know, it's but it's just that band that same band, but uh way better than than all the sort of punks demos or whatever that that uh, that rave up label did has done Hello? you know, which I kind of I dig as well, and I think it's I, I, it's supposed to be a, a documentary being made about them. 
Yeah, I remember hearing about that documentary, but like, man, I, I don't know how I didn't hear about this record. I got to try and add that to the want list. I think that I think that Hozak is reissuing it. Someone's oh, cool. reissuing it. it might, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's Hozak. Well, this is that period, as I was saying, everything's getting re- everything gets reissued now. Yeah, yeah, of course. You know, you know that band Drunks with Guns? Yeah. That they just played at the Liars Club down the street from me. What was did you go to the show? <laughs> There's like a lineup. No, I was out of town. Oh. There there uh it's the singer and I maybe one of the guitar players and some other people, but a my a friend of mine was there and he said it was great. Oh, I love the records, but they went on didn't they like break into two bands like Bullets for Pussy and then Yeah Drugs with Guns yeah. too? And and uh a couple of the other guys went into a band called Strangulated Beat-Offs. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but those Drugs With Guns, especially that Enemy, Leprosy, and Zombie EP, man, with those three songs, I just, I listened to that tonight, and and, uh, and I have, like, a really, like, pretty nice sound system, and I'm mm-hmm. like, what a fucking record to be jamming over this, <laughs> you know? <laughs> you know? <laughs> Probably on far better equipment than they recorded it on. Yeah, yeah, clearly, <laughs> clearly. I would say, like, you know, people say, like, what's your test record for your sound system? I'm like, the Soldier EP. I was going to say know? the Soldier Seven Inch. <laughs> oh yeah, I remember getting, you know, uh, when that record was released. I was in Washington D.C. and 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 Ian MacKay's older sister lived in in uh, Seattle at the time, and she would like send records back to those guys and Alec Mackay mm-hmm. had gotten that soldier EP and we we're looking at it and just looking at the lyric sheet and like we put it on and it was just, it was just the most fucked up sounding thing. It, I don't know what went wrong with the mastering or <laughs> who knows, but that's like the, uh, just one of the most fucked up sounding records that the, they reissued it and, and, and it had uh, proper mastering and it was still as fucked up pretty much. That band is is just, I don't know, and, and, and you know, plays a huge part in music history too. Weirdly, but uh, I think probably drugs played a part in the sound of that record. Yeah, yeah, certainly. I mean, uh, what else? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> also, you bring up the older uh, Mackay sister, and to me, she must be like forget Ian, even forget Alec. She's the coolest. She's the one that got them into everything. Oh yeah, that's the story, huh? Yeah, that's what I heard. Like, that's what Alec told me that she would like came back from Europe with all the punk singles. Probably, yeah. Oh, that's a cool, cool family, man. They're all, yeah. you know, the Amanda's, you know, the you know the whole. That's you know, it's a whole deal. You know, have you have you uh, seen that book Hard Art? It came out a long time ago, like I think ten years ago. I think it's so. These, it's these photos. This this Washington D.C. photographer named uh, what the hell's his name? Lucian something. Lucian uh, Perkins and and uh, Alex's girlfriend it was like a photo archivist and was going through this guy's photos because he's going to retire or something oh, like that. Yeah. And came across all these pictures he'd taken at like Madam's Oregon and like this outdoor uh, place like Valley Green where they played like you know, in a parking lot or something, the bad brains played in the, in a parking lot. And he just took these amazing photos and, and, uh, they put them all in this book. And then Alec is sort of like narrating them, you know, talking about, cause he's in a bunch of them and, and she, his, his, his girlfriend 
discovered, oh, wait, this is my boyfriend is in, is in, in these photos, you know? And, uh, and I guess some of them had been printed in like the Washington Post or something. He was like a Washington Post photographer. Yeah, like he you wasn't know, a punk like, guy at all, famous, right? There's a famous, there's a famous picture of HR that that you, that probably everyone's seen. It. It's one of this guy's photos. You should get that book, man. It's just like, and the writing's great in it. It really captures. It really captures a time like when all this shit was really sort of bubbling up and, and getting going. You know. Mm-hmm. No, that book's incredible. But very like, early. I th- Alec was saying that he actually, in one of the photos, he tried to track down like anyone from that photo and couldn't find anyone that was still alive or couldn't get in touch with anyone from one of the photos. I forget which one it is, but. Yeah. You, and uh, yeah, no, like that is. Yeah, and he, he wasn't like a punk guy at all, right? Like he was just like the staff photographer of the Washington Post who yeah. took an yeah. interest in it. Yeah. Yeah, incredible. Like, you know, where did you kind of like begin making contact with like. The, the, you know, like, like you're talking about the DC stuff, like with the global kind of hardcore scene that was going on, or at least the American hardcore scene that was kind of bubbling up at this. Well, uh, Tesco got a, a teen idol single sent to touch and go because I guess touch and go used to be distributed yesterday and today. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it was busted, but we looked at the sleeve and like the back sleeve, it was just, it was, it was like a weird moment where. I was like, whoa, there's something going on here. Cause it was, was all like kids, you know, our age kind of right. In this, that big group photo that's mm-hmm. on the back of that teen idols record. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and, and LA was jumping at this point, this, you know, it's around the time of nervous breakdown or like nervous breakdown had been out for, I guess a little while or whatever, maybe, maybe jealous, jealous again, I don't know, but uh, but seeing this thing from DC, we were like, "Whoa!" You know, it it, uh, it was it was a like a kind of a, a cool little revelation. You know, it mm-hmm. made me realize that like it wasn't sort of we weren't so isolated in a way. And so, uh, eventually, obviously, uh, Tesco got a good copy, and I you know I got sent a copy, and we just started like writing, you know writing to those guys and and uh a few months later necros were going to play in new york with the circle jerks we cut out a town a few days early and went to dc because the circle jerks were going to play with ian's new band minor threat because teenagers you know that they basically were broken up by the time that single came out yeah and uh uh so we, you know, I got to see like Circle Jerk's first East Coast show, and Minor Threat opening, and Minor Threat were just like fucking on fire. I mean, it was just it, to me, I was just I couldn't I couldn't believe it. Like it was so, uh, they were so. It's weird to think of this, think of it this way, but they were so like precise and accurate and sharp. You know, just you know way super powerful man i was really thinking like oh man i gotta like step my game up in a major way like it was <laughs> it, it will, and i don't know seems stupid, like a weird weird thing to think kind of but I, I was just like i'm not doing shit compared to these guys you know mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know it was and and uh and, and they just they just 
destroyed the circle jerks because the I think they had the drummer of the plugs, like Lucky Lair had had broken his arm or something before the tour, so that you know they had a different drummer and they hadn't rehearsed with him that much or whatever. And uh they went on and circle just went on and played like 20 minutes. You know, it was you know, it was sort of like a warm-up set for you know, they just got off a plane kind of. Yeah. You know, and and I so you know, so I, I don't want to I don't want dis- to disparage them at all because they're great and they, they, you know, the next night in New York they fucking destroyed them. They were totally on, but at this time, man, it was just I got to just g- give the match to uh, <laughs> Minor Threat, man. You know, all and all the sort of legend in and around them, man. It's like it's it's not unearned. You know, it's not. I mean, it's definitely. You know, well, they had home court advantage. Home court advantage, yeah, yeah, um, for sure. You know, how did you guys get? Like, obviously, are you sending out sex drive at this point? Is that how you got the show in New York with with the Circle Jerks, or how did you wind up with that gig? Um, Corey did an exchange program and went to Beverly Hills High School for like a month mm-hmm. in uh, like January and February of like eighty one, and he he just ended up you know, meeting and talking to like, to, uh, to Keith Morris and, 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 you know, the black flag guys and, and whatnot. And, uh, so we just sort of said, Hey, you know, kept in touch and, and asked and, and they were like, yeah, we'll put you on that bill. I mean, it was just, I don't, you know, it was just sheer luck. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, we think thinking back on it, it's like, you know, I, you know, how the fuck did that happen? Yeah. Um, and you know it was the night the night that we were graduate we were all graduating from high school we were skipping high school graduation <laughs> to play that gig i i, I don't know i, I would I, say I, no regrets yeah of course oh that's awesome what a yeah, yeah. what a night and the stimulators they were on the bill as well and uh you know they were they were kind of what they were new york in a weird way seemed like old timey Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like they didn't, to me, they didn't, get, they didn't like, they're kind of late to the hardcore thing. I thought. Yeah. I mean, is that. that, is that how, is that how it's looked on historically? I know that, you know, agnostic front are the biggest thing ever in the world. And there's a, a movie about them now and whatnot, but I mean, is that how it's, is that how it's looked upon in history or is that just me? Well, I think it's, I think like, you know, AF is definitely when it kickstarts, it seems like into the more, hardcore stuff like prior to that like even thurston said last week on the show like new york was always a lot more rock influence yeah um and it makes sense like you know like it hold over kind of yeah hold over kind of things sure yeah yeah like it, it just like you know and there's a music industry there so i imagine there's like a lot more prospects of hoping to make it um which is also why i think toronto never got like its hardcore scene off the ground in the same way as like other huge cities did like obviously there's great bands from here, but like, you know, we don't really have the labels for it. We don't really have. Yeah. Yeah, certainly. Certainly. I mean, and definitely in the Midwest, it was, you know, there was no prospects. Yeah. There's no yeah. career, no careerism <laughs> going on, you know? Uh, well, that's why you guys had to invent punk. You know, I've always felt that it starts really in Cleveland. If you're going to give it anywhere, you know? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, electric eels, man, you know, yeah. get any more, any more punk than that. Where did you hear about them? Was it just buying that single on Rough Trade, or you know, you know, this is the fucked up thing is uh, 
I just bought that single at the Drome, not having any idea of the history. And I just, I didn't, you know, mm. and I guess it said recorded in 1974 or something, but, um, you know, there was no, it wasn't like I knew, oh yeah, Jim Morton, you know, blah, 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 you know, like <laughs> no, you know what I'm saying? And, but then we got Clee magazine and there was a thing about the electric eels and that. Mm-hmm. Which is that's a great that's an that's a fanzine that should be reissued in a little book anthology for sure, um, and and you know there's this big you know, all these amazing pictures of them at the time and and they just looked insane you mm-hmm. know mm-hmm. and sounded it I mean that that record's still you know it's like a watermark of fucked upness you know. And did you ever hear that bootleg that came out of like the singer solo stuff? It's like two solo songs, and one's like shopping for underwear in Kmart. I think it's one of the songs. Oh, it's something about like something. Isn't it a flexi disc? It's like shopping at Sears or yeah. Like the the cool, like the cool counselor, the cool marriage counselors. Yeah. Something like that. Uh, That's a fucked up record. For some reason I'm thinking I I heard it. I don't own it. I don't think there's a bootleg of it that came out a couple of years. Well, now I'm, but I'm thinking this wasn't it. A, it wasn't it like a flexi originally. Or yeah. It was originally a flexi. Oh, and then maybe that came in, in an issue of Klee. I think it might maybe have. I, maybe I have that. I don't know. I have to look. Um, oh. but yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think I've heard it along the way, but yeah, I think he became born again or something. <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but maybe that's just a joke. I mean, who knows? You know, I saw X blank X a few years ago and they were great. Yeah, that band, uh, you know, once again, like a band that I only got into because of the reissues and stuff, but holy yeah. God, like ahead of its time sounding. Oh, yeah. What and was they like? Really, they really pulled it off live too still, you know? Mm-hmm. What was the, what was it that kicked off kind of hardcore coming to the Midwest, uh, you think? like? I think Touch and Go magazine covering the stuff and then, and then, you know, any any time, like Black Flag would come through, there'd be like more bands would start. You know, it was definitely Black Flag were sort of you know burning a trail for everybody. You know, and do you remember the f- first time they came through? I think it was a Club Doobie at, at uh, in Lansing, yeah, which was great. It was just sick. Mm-hmm. They sh- they showed up and did like a six song sound check. <laughs> You know, and it was just that the sound was just like super heavy, and and uh, and Des just sounded like the devil. You know, <laughs> yeah. Who um, else played that show? The Fix and us. Oh wow, what a bill! I know, right? You think about it, you look at you look at it, and you, I mean, looking at that on paper, it's like goddamn, right? Yeah. Um. Yeah, man. I mean, and it was also like the first sort of the first sort of like pit kind of thing, mm-hmm. you know, uh, one, one thing when, when Corey was in LA, he, he filmed this gig at the Starwood. It was like the adolescence, China white and black flag. And it was right at the height of all the, like the punk rock violence in the, in the news media. Mm-hmm. And so it was just this crazy, insane, you know, I, I guess you talk about it in, in that Retman book, but, um, uh, so, you know, we kind of weirdly knew what to expect, you know, because it was like, I, you know, I think, uh, uh, was Jealous, Je- I'm not sure if Jealous Again was even out, like if they even had a record other than 
the nervous breakdown before they went out on these tours or, you know, maybe they did. I, I, I can't think, you know, I got to go look at the record or whatever. Yeah. Um, uh, so seeing like all these songs you never heard, you know, seeing them like played live in this video and like hearing them and shit, you know, we kind of knew what to expect when they got to club doobie. And it was great, man. I mean, you know. Although that wasn't the best lineup, man. The best lineup, the best flag lineup I ever saw was Chuck Biscuits and Dez on second guitar and Henry singing and, you know, and then Chuck and, and Greg. And Chuck Biscuits was just a monster. So do you, do you like Henry more as a singer of Black Flag? Dez is my favorite in Black Flag. Keith's my best buddy from Black Flag. Yeah. But I think, I think that Henry pulled the physical thing uh, it really, really like led them up with that. I mean, mm-hmm. it really was like he was most expressive of of their whole vibe by his his whole f- flipping out and going crazy like he did. You know, I mean, it was really, you know, uh, it, it 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 equaled it equaled the the the, the monstrous sound. You know, you guys had played with SOA too, right? No, but I saw SOA practice. Okay. And Henry didn't have a didn't have, there was no PA he just shouted over the band <laughs> sounded sick it was I, at Ivor Hansen's house and Ivor Hansen's dad was was a doctor and he was like the the uh, vice president's doctor or something yeah and they lived they lived in this gated compound and we had to like go through security to go in go to Ivor Hansen's house and then we went down in the basement and they just set up and just fucking you know just slayed. But uh, I never saw them. I never, you know, I never saw them live, like at a club or something. Yeah. Well, that they weren't probably, around that long, you know. Yeah. Well, they, I think that single comes out right when they're pretty much done already, right? Yeah, and and you know, by the time when we that that we went and hung out in DC that that early part of the summer and whatnot, and pretty soon Henry, you know, joined Black Flag and like left DC. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, when we played with Black Flag in June of 81 at Bookie's, Henry was there, but he didn't, he didn't play, you know, but he was traveling with them. He caught up with them in, in Detroit. But, you know, this is a great story. And I definitely have to tell this. I saw uh, the show where Henry got up on stage and, and played with Black Flag at A7. Yeah. It was like. Oh man, he he got up on stage and played "Clocked In," which was just amazing thing because it wasn't even out yet. But all the sort of stuff that was on, um, uh, what's the the comp with all the early cuts with all the singers? Oh, the first four years. Oh no, um, no. Uh, everything went black. Everything went black. Yeah, the stuff like we there were we all had cassettes of of the stuff that was on. Everything went black, and and so he knew clocked in and he got up and like, what song you would do? He's like, do clocked in. And they're like, how do you know? You know, <laughs> and he knew all the words and killed it. And then, and then we were hanging out in DC and it had driven black flag in the bad brains at Irving Plaza. And this, this, uh, a seven thing happened after that. And then we went back to DC and he had to go work. He, and does, does like, Henry's going to get up, do one, and then he's got to go and go to work or whatever. <laughs> and I was like his, you know, his pre-audition. Yeah. yeah. Did you guys play so, that show or you just there hanging out? No, we just hanging out. Uh, what happened was uh, 
that whole summer, man, we would just road trip and just go mm-hmm. and, and just, if something good was going on somewhere, we would go and, and, you know, someone would, would drive, you know, had, you know, by then we'd all have our driver's licenses and whatnot. Were there any bands that you think kind of like have been overlooked by like the historical record of hardcore that you guys were seeing at that time that you think like maybe didn't record a record or, or just like, you know, didn't get it captured on the record the way they were live? Uh, well, negative approach. Really? You think they're yeah. th- those records don't even meet up to what they were live? No, nah, man. No, nah. especially that seven inch is really weak. Really? <laughs> it's just recorded so shittily. Yeah. <laughs> And, but listen, but listen, but but you, but I'm saying that because of how amazing they were live. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they were just they were like you know, they were just you know just. I think the kings of hardcore. No, he's like the Frank Sinatra of hardcore. His voice gets better. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but now it's like he doesn't even enunciate. It's yeah. almost like it's like he's like like a like a. It's like a like a jazz trumpeter that goes from really like you know really defining his riffs to to sort of just like insinuating them somehow like you know what i mean like it's it's just just pure rage this crazy blare yeah it's almost like you know those like weird parts in like nick cave records where he almost does like scat like vocal kind of like noises yeah yeah and it's like that taking the logical extreme yeah oh yeah (laughs) Definitely, definitely. John Brandon saw Nick Cave and 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 uh, took note, but then t- but then just took it to some other like other place. It's just just like a extra gnarly, you know. Where did you go from? Uh, did, or did you ever see the pre-negative approach glam band? No. Okay. I remember I remember seeing John Brandon around uh, one time. We went. We were at this Madness gig, and it was Madness and. Pearl Harbor and the and the explosions. Oh, the 415 band. Yeah. <laughs> and and uh uh he he was there with Pete Zaleski. And he was just, you know, he's like a burnout. You know what I mean? Like a uh he, he's like a burnout. You know, I mean, you know what he's like, right? You met him, right? Yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And he was just like a tough burnout dude now. And and then I don't know, and then you know, we just always sort of run into each other at gigs and whatnot, and then just sort of started talking. And, and uh, Pete Zaleski was, he was the original bass player of, of Negative Approach. And, and he was always like a good friend and, and uh, whatnot. And, and then we just became friends with Brandon and, and, you know, he put together Negative Approach with Zoo Hair and Pete Zaleski and, and uh, uh, Rob, you know, yeah, and, the re- and then you know, and then changed up the lineup to the, li- the lineup that recorded. Although I guess the Zoo Hair lineup did record too. It, yeah, wait, is, 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 Zoo Hair, is Zoo Hair on the single? I don't think he's on the single, but I think there is like, isn't that like the stuff that came out on that uh, some some one of the compilation things? Probably because he man Brandon recorded everything like practices and like he was definitely a like a. a a self-documentation guy for sure, you know, so he has, he had a lot, but Zoo Hair, man, he was like this Middle Eastern cat and we went to his house one time and his sisters and his mom were all like, like veiled, mm-hmm. you know, like the full on, like a Muslim kind of deal. And he had two Vista-like kits in the basement. 
to like you know the the see through Lud, Lud, Ludwig. Uh, yeah, it's like his, yeah. he had two. <laughs> I had two drum sets set up. They're both his, and we jam. We all jammed drums, and then, and then when we left, they, I think they thought we were like some like beggars or something. They gave us food, like wrapped up, <laughs> and they're like looking at us out the window. His sisters, like they, you know, we we weren't allowed to like talk to them or anything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was just because Zuhair was just an odd dude. And I don't know. He he didn't last that long, but he was a decent drummer, you know. Yeah, like the stuff sounds pretty sick. Like that's the thing is like everyone seems like they could play and everyone seems like they were like a record collector. Like, you know, even especially you guys, like, you know, it's just like this is the the basis for which uh, I live by now. You know, like the guys that were into punk that collected records and were kind of looking Man. at it as a global thing or not a, even necessarily a global thing, but like a, a bigger thing. I mean, with me. I love music so much. And, and when I heard punk, I loved punk so much mm-hmm. that it wasn't enough just to like, like it. And, and like, I had to, I had to make that kind of music. Like it, it, it just, comp- you know, I felt compelled to fucking do it, you know, cause I just 100%. dug it so much, you know, I just fucking dug it, you know, mm-hmm. and I still like, you know, music's like, music is like air to me. You know, I buy new records all the time and like all sorts of crazy different stuff. You know, I'm not into just one thing, you know, so. Before you started kind of getting out and seeing these other scenes, like before you went to that first Minor Threat show. Right. What were were the shows like that you guys were playing? Like, was there much of a scene kind of around you guys and around Touch and Go at that early stage? You know, I I need to, I guess I need to go back. We we did see the Pagans play. Oh. at, at, At like the storefront next door to the Drome. Oh, sick! And that was like that was like a a deciding moment, man. It was like to earnestly, because that was like, mm-hmm. and we could just see what was going on, and it, it it didn't seem impossible, you know. It was, um, you know, it was like the smallest thing I'd ever been to, like musically, you know. Mm-hmm. And I don't think we, I don't think we'd played any gigs yet, like, uh, you know, I'm trying to. Th- Oh, you know, I think we did. We we did play like Halloween '79 at at this place, the Brass Bell, and it was just fucking horrible. But it was Halloween, so there was nothing but like crazy college students dressed up for Halloween, and they'd been drinking all day, so they loved it, you know. Yeah. And was then, it just and you then guys we went, playing? No, it was this band, the Best, who were like a like a bar band of you know all like these. Uh, a lot of these people who worked at Boogie Records, like the bass player of the, that band, is the guy that sold me Spiral Scratch. Okay. And, and so, you know, they, and it was just sort of this novelty. I, we, we like bugged them, let us play let's, on, you, on one of your breaks. Because they do like five sets, you know, of like Elvis <laughs> Costello songs, you know, just, just whatever, you know, yeah, like, yeah. Nug- like Nuggets kind of songs, you know. And, and, so we played on Halloween and went over well, and we played like a week or two later, and and it, it wasn't you know it wasn't like the worst thing, but you know it was the the, the reception was not nearly as as warm, you know. <laughs> Did the pagans and, have a- and, and of course because it was terrible, you know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Did the pagans have much of a following by that point, or were they kind of like 
Was it kind of you after know, the fact a little? Or here's what here's what had gone on. They I think they had sort they were sort of dwindling out. Like okay, it was you know all those singles had come out, mm-hmm. and it was the original lineup. Man, it was and it was sick. I mean that this, this their sound, man, it was just very like just very uh, kind of brutal, you know. And yeah. and and uh, I mean you heard those those records. Oh but, God, but I just love imagine those it. Imagine it just, you know, just, I guess, crunchier, you know, yeah. sort of more, a little f- more fiery and, and not as settled down as stuff recorded in a studio ends up sounding like, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but it didn't seem, you know, seeing it didn't make, it made it, it looked, made it, you know, you could see that it was possible for yeah. sure. And then I'm trying to think what other crazy, you know, uh, I think not all that long after that we saw. Uh, DOA play a rock against racism outdoor gig at Wayne State in Detroit, and that was mind blowing. Uh, Dave Gregg had just joined the band, so it was just you know it was a four piece, and they were really sort of like filled out the sound, and and uh, they were they were great. And like Chuck Biscuits is just an amazing drummer, always was, and mm-hmm. and and Toxic and this that band Toxic Reasons opened. Oh, was it just the two of them? Yeah. It's just like this outdoor, you know, like they set up and like, you know, an open sort of yard kind of area on the campus of Wayne State, you know, like yeah. a quad or whatever. Oh, that's awesome. Were you a fan of Toxic Reason? Yeah, yeah. And and uh, we didn't know who they were at the time, you know. Yeah. But, but definitely after seeing them, for sure. And, they, you know, and then they kind of went through various lineups and they were sort of the uh, the returns diminished quickly <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. But with Ed Pittman, yeah, man, you know, that, and the, I got that first single, that War Hero single. Yeah. I bought one that day. I was like, yes. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. To, uh, to, to bring it around to record nerdism. Were you like, yeah, like at that point, well, you know, we could talk, definitely talk record nerdism because you put out probably the penultimate record nerd record around this time, I would imagine. Um, what, was the idea of doing that so limited just because of, you know, you figured there'd be limited interest or was it already like on some record collector? We no, we didn't, I didn't have any, any of that. I mean, it, what, I'll tell you, here's what happened when that record was delivered to my house. I was a senior in high school and I had walked home because Brian Mank, who was a, later a roadie for the Necros, we used to steal his French fries at lunch. And he, he <laughs> said, like, if you steal another fry, you, you know, I'm going to do something or whatever. And we're, I just laughed and I stole another fry. He took a, like a half pint of milk and just wailed it right at my chest. And so it exploded <laughs> all over me. So I had to go home to like change clothes. Yeah slash not go back to school you know? <laughs> and uh i get i get home i get home and i like take off these this you know wet clothes or whatever and this box has been had been delivered and my folks had like put it in my room and i'm looking at it and it looked like a, a, a huge amount of records to me and i thought I'm going to be carrying these around with me for the rest of my life <laughs> is exactly what i thought <laughs> So how's that for how's that for self esteem, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, and then they were gone in like a weekend. Even though, even though, 
Tesco and those guys like to say, oh, they hung around in stores for a while, blah, blah, blah. They didn't really f for that long. They were gone. I, you know, I remember uh, buy, like, buying, like I saw one used at Wazoo Records a little later and I bought it back. We used to steal them back from people. <laughs> you, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, we, so we could give them to other people. <laughs> you know, uh, yeah. So they were, they were, and it was just simply there was no money. You know, it was like yeah. touch, touch and goes. They had eighty bucks from subscriptions, and like, you know, somehow I scraped together a hundred bucks. You know, and and uh, which I never got paid back for. You know, and and uh, the rest is history. Now it's like you know forty was it forty three hundred dollars or something? Yeah, no, that's just it's talk, those, it's talk about talk about buyer's remorse, man. <laughs> so you paid almost five thousand dollars for that. You know, <laughs> oh, if I had five grand right now and no kids, believe me. Yeah. I would own that record by now. Um, no, it's funny because like I had Mark McCoy on from the band Charles Bronson recently. Yeah. And on one of their records, they go after that guy Felix Von Havoc because he paid $600 for a sex drive. And they're like, how can a guy who wears a bullet belt pay $600 for a punk record and like going after him? And when I was on the call with him, I'm like, dude, that was a really good investment. Like I would really? pay $600 yeah. for that record all day if I could. I don't know. <laughs> um but did it kind of like it and that record got out right like it got reviewed in in zines in california and stuff too. yeah because I, because i you know i sent them there i mean we knew about you know we we're touched with Flipside and and uh you know whatever else was going on and we just sent out promos you know mm -hmm. and and uh people were I guess, you know, we, I'd sent out a few demos when, when we recorded that, that first demo that's, that's Alona's Dream reissued, mm -hmm. um, or it did issue, not reissued. And, and uh, you know, maybe those people bought some and, you know, and, and Tesco probably sent some around. But, I mean, they were, you know, there was a hundred, you know. Yeah. I mean, that's, it's hilarious to think that now that. You know, people do a hundred test pressings. Oh God, yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely. It's it's. I don't know. It's it's wild to think about. Like you know that that has been the artifact. You know that, and then obviously the fixed single too. But like those two have yeah. become have been the the artifacts for. It seems like forever. Like people like right away. Like you're saying, it was sold out after a weekend, right? So like right away, people were kind of like, it seems like looking for it. Like that's probably the first. Maybe even before Misfits Records, like collectible from hardcore. Yeah. Uh, but that makes yeah. sense. Still looted me. Got all your other records though. Don't worry, I got all the others. But that That's one, cool. I'm, there's three thousand of the nine song. You know, it's not that, that's yeah, exactly <laughs> multiple that's a crazy pressing. Thing to think. Like three thousand is a lot, you know, in a way. Yeah, but like, how many of those survived? Right? Like, how many people were like, you know. Uh, especially with those 100, how many of those survived? The Necros one? Or yeah. The first Necros or, or yeah. the Skate Park, the Skate Park 9 song? Well, I, no, I'm saying even even like the regular 9 song, even of the 3,000, how many of the 3,000 survive to 2018? Like how, how many got partied on? How many got like exactly. 
trash. Stolen and yeah. stolen and, and and you know whatever. I mean, who knows? I've yeah. got you know, I've got all those records. I I astonished that I still have them. You know, when when I look at records, I'm like, I can't believe. I have this from like 1978 and it's still mint. Like after all the times I've moved and, you know, and whatnot and said whatnot a hundred times. <laughs> Don't worry. I, I say awesome. That's like a, like a Midwestern, you know, like uh, uh, in Pittsburgh, they say in that. Yeah. Yeah. Like in that, yeah. And that, and that, and that, and then sometimes other places they'll say, and, and what have you. And I just found myself for some reason saying whatnot over and over. So. Becoming becoming uh, hyper aware of it. That's all. Was there a scene? Was there a scene around like when you guys put out records? Like were other kids in high school like aware that you guys were doing this, or were there? Because you're nah, no, I never no. told anyone anyone in my school, any of the schools I went to, that I was in a band. Yeah, and you know, and mommy was just like, uh, just I would I was commenting to my dad about this when I was hanging out with him over Thanksgiving. And I said that if there was a flag for Ohio, it would be beige, <laughs> gray and off white. Like that should be the, that's the, the, the Ohio flag, especially the, even, and the, even though really it is like, Oh, come on. You know, it was a nice place to grow up, you know, it, cause it is just, you know, middle America, that sort of thing. But really all it ever did was, just you know, like I live in Chicago now. To me, Chicago's like Paris on Mars, twenty-four hours a day, seven days a week. Yeah, I'm so you know I'm I'm excited about it every day. Somehow it's new, you know, <laughs> and that's just because I'm from a place that's not like that at all. It's funny though because Ohio has one of the coolest looking flags too. Yeah, yeah. It's definitely a yeah. much wilder flag than. And I'm I guess. being, mean. you know, I'm being, I'm being mean, yeah, especially now. I have friends that still live there, and, and they love it. And, and I've heard Toledo's a lot better than it used to be. And I guess there was like a, a very vibrant sort of hardcore scene at some point out of Toledo. Mm-hmm. Definitely, definitely. Um, I've but had... I was, I was uh, wonderfully oblivious to it. <laughs> it's, it's amazing though. Like ages. Maybe it's out of this boredom you're talking about, but Ohio puts out like consistently some of the wildest, you know, punk music, and yeah, and especially like early on, like Akron or 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 um, Cleveland, like the bands that were coming out of there were light years ahead of anyone else in the in North America. Like, who do you mean? Well, like you know, like Devo, like Devo's like seventy four. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh no, don't. Yeah, no, no. Like Perubu, the the all that stuff. It, Believe me, I, I, that to me is like in my blood, man. I, I mean, I all you know, nothing but respect and love for all that shit for sure. You know, pagans and you know, electric eels and and you know that whole that whole deal. You know, I mean, it is it is it is on par to me with, with like the Stooges, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, or any or, or any you know top shelf amazing, you know. John Coltrane, you know, I mean, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. 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 But I, I, I wouldn't, I, but you know, would you say like starvation army or <laughs> oh, do you know what that is? Yeah. I definitely know starvation army. Or I, the dark. Or like I, the dark. I do like the dark. I am. I'm a big dark yeah. fan, but guided by voices. Yeah. You know, like that's a band that people 
talk about Guided by Voices. Is yeah, certainly- yeah, sure, sure. You know, you guys, I, you know. I, I, am, I don't need to give Ohio short shrift, man. Let's just say mommy, all right? Let's just- okay, mommy. <laughs> I will give you mommy. I don't need to, I don't need to uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I never lived in Cleveland, and I always had a good time there, and, I, and you know. But I wonder, if it's, well, I wonder if it's like what you're saying, if it's almost at a, as a reaction to like everything that's around you that like that's why all this freaked out, wild stuff's yeah, coming out. Yeah, probably. Sure. You, you got to be like somehow otherworldly, you know? Yeah, yeah exactly. And not, and not, uh, not run of the fucking mill, you know? <laughs> Um, when you guys started touring out, started playing out, like, was it kind of weird to see that there was a following? Like, was there a following or like, at what point did that really start for you? You know, we, we started going out regionally, you know, we'd go to New York and do well, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know. It it just sort of, uh. We just built up a little momentum, you know, and we, you know, we played New York at the Circle Jerks. And so, you know, we, we played to like a, you know, even it was probably not our best gig or anything, but, you know, we played to a lot of people. Yeah. And we got support from all the DC people and, and, uh, uh, you know, we just were a good time, you know, we made, we made friends and shit, you know, so, and, and we just wanted to get the hell out of town, we, you know, get away from mommy. And so it would be no big deal to sort of like take off, uh, and play a place on a Friday, you know, go like play like DC on a Friday, New York on a Saturday, you know, maybe Philly on Sunday and then race back, you know, for school or whatever. It's amazing um, how different all those scenes must've been. It, it was all small, you know, and, and, and I think, there's just sort of like uh, uh, point people everywhere, you know, people sort of doing something. And it was always like, like a lot of the most interesting people were like putting on shows or, or they knew someone who did, or, you know, mm-hmm. there's sort of, you know, people interested in, in bringing, the, bringing in good bands or whatever that were unknown, you know, Pittsburgh, Cleveland, Pittsburgh to New York. They're not that long of drives, you know. Yeah. And, but I, you know, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I mean, it just built slowly, you know, it wasn't, it it wasn't like uh, one day we're playing to no one. And then the next day we're like headlining, you know, some huge place or anything. And it was just a piece, you know, bit by bit, you know. When you mentioned earlier going to Windsor and staying with your friends in Windsor, was that the, would they later become the flesh columns? No. Okay. Flesh columns were younger. Okay. Flesh Combs were like, you know, Flesh Combs were after the Necros time on Touch and Go. That's where we, got, we talked to Corey about recording, and he tells us, oh, you know, we're really concentrating on the Flesh Columns right now. <laughs> you're like, really? That's what you're doing. You know? <laughs> so now, and they, they, you know, they were probably younger brothers and sisters of people that I knew. Okay. But, you know, we never played with them and I never saw them and I never, I don't even think I ever owned that record. 
I, I, I've definitely bought several records off, uh, one of the brothers of the dudes in that band. So, yeah. Uh, and also that's the Canadian connection to touch and go until phone coma. Yeah, so. well, that, I think that comes from, you know, that, but that comes from all, all of our friends in Windsor, you mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. and, well, that's and, uh, and his, and Corey's wife was from Windsor. Okay. And there, and that's where the negative approach release party was too, right? For the seven inch. Yeah, the man, the coronation time. You know, you know, they're doing a documentary about Detroit hardcore. These these guys from Windsor. Okay. You know about that? No, I didn't know remember about that, that. Remember that fanzine sold out? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, Otto Booge from Sold yeah. Out. He has like two minutes of footage from the freezer, silent, no sound, and he and he's he's going over it like it's this. Like you know, like a find in a, in a like archaeology dig, you know. And he talked. He talked to like everyone that ever went to the freezer, plus probably people who said they did that did. Yeah, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, but me, he didn't. He didn't talk to me, but he did. He did ask me to. He did send me an email about it, and I was just like, I don't need to be the fifty first talking head, you know. <laughs> I go, I'm in that two minutes or thirty seconds or something, man. You got enough. You got enough of me. <laughs> That's, but it is hollow ground that venue, and right? You've like, seen, and you've seen like the uh, uh, the trailers, right? He he put a couple of trailers up on YouTube. No, I gotta watch this. This sounds like right up my alley. It's great. It's 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 funny as hell. He's, it, it's like a like a college reunion for me. It's like I know every single person they, they talk to, <laughs> and there's some that I don't. I go, who is that? <laughs> And I'm like, I'm trying to imagine like, what would they have looked like 30 years ago? <laughs> I can't, I'm like, for the life of me, I, you know, I have no idea who it is. But, but Otto's brothers were at the freezer. They hung out at the freezer. First. But he was too young. So, and he's, I guess, obsessed with the time. And yeah. So, but he's going to do, a, it's a whole thing about Detroit hardcore. It isn't just about the freezer. And he talks about the coronation tavern. Meyer Threat played there, you know, famously. But I don't, I don't recall like the the record release party. I'm sure that I was there and it was great. Those those gigs were crazy. That it was just this shitty bar. This old lady owned it, and she would, if you acted up, she would try to hit you with a frying pan. <laughs> it was like like comedic in only a way Windsor could be. Were there you know? were there like uh, hardcore bands in Windsor around this time, or like who? What kind of bands were you guys playing with from there locally? Was it still like the Spies and stuff, or the Hardtops? You said when when. Uh, we played at the Coronation. There were no other bands on the bills. Like when we played with DOA, there it was just us and DOA. Mm-hmm. And uh, and Joey Shithead drove separately with his wife in a Volkswagen Rabbit. Um, my dream tour. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> but he, it just was funny because he's he's Joey Shithead, right? <laughs> he pulls up in a Volkswagen Rabbit. <laughs> he just got elected, I believe, to uh, office. Amazing. Yeah, I, I'm um, very happy about that. I don't. I don't remember any. I don't remember any Windsor bands playing w- with us at the Coronation. And minor when Minor Threat played at the Coronation, it was Minor Threat, and I don't. I don't remember who opened. It might have just. It might have been. I don't think it was Youth Brigade. I don't think Youth Brigade. Like they had gone home or something, because Minor Threat and Youth Brigade did this summer tour. And it got as far as uh, Madison, Wisconsin, and then whoever owned the van, his, their parents found out that that's what was going on. Like they lied and they said they were going camping. They made up some bullshit. And they found out that this van was like halfway across the 
the country and and in no certain and they're immediate like return home immediately <laughs> one of those situations uh. and uh, and so i think like maybe myrtha played after those guys went home or something i don't i don't know it's a little bit of a blur you mm-hmm. know mm-hmm. um what did doa but i was wearing i was wearing black jeans i'll, I'll tell you that that's an amazing memory I'm, on that I'm, front. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I don't know. I'm just saying, you know. Did uh, did DOA come through before Black Flag? Yeah, they they were they in uh, 1980, like in the summer, maybe. Okay. At that gig at Wayne State. Yeah, it's funny because they they are the band, I guess that that starts like that whole idea of just like touring, getting out there. Yeah, man. I mean. You know, no one was coming through with that. You know, mm-hmm. and I'm trying to think if we. I think I had that uh, 13 single, and maybe oh, you know, I think that that like Triumph of the Ignoroids. I think Tesco had that like was reviewed in Touch and Go. So we were, you know, we knew of them, mm-hmm. but we had never seen them. And man, it was just phew. they were. You know, I'm sure you, you know you saw them. I don't know. How old are you now? I'm 38, so I saw him, but it was like oh, okay, all right. For some a little reason, later. For some reason, I was thinking like for some reason I was thinking like you were had just turned 30 or something. I don't know. No, right, I just like looked like a baby. Hung out that. Yeah, no, yeah just... all right. You just, just <laughs> clean living and and uh, lots of sleep. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Now it's now it's a lot more cannabis, but you know. And a lot less sleep, so that's that's, that's, why, that's what I say. Better, better living through cannabis, my friend. I tell you, like I, we gotta hang out next time because um, I've 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 changed. I know I've I've, uh, I've seen that I've seen evidence <laughs> of that, which is great. Well, no, I, there's definitely a lot more that I want to get to, and, and at some point, would you come back for a part two? Yeah, for sure. Before I let you go, I gotta talk to you about Motor Booty because to me, that's one of the all-time kind of great zines. That uh, I had no idea there was a Necros connection till even after I had pearls, the of it. Pearls before swine, my friend. Yeah. Pearls, we put out that fucking genius thing, and you, yeah. it was there it was on the shelf with every other piece of shit, like your flesh and just every other crap mag. <laughs> at the end of the day, that's where it's, that's who you're next to, and like, yeah. But yeah, man. And, and but yet, I say the shelf life of motor booties. Uh, you look at it now, and it's it's fresh as hell. Yeah, it still looks killer, and it has like such a unique aesthetic. It doesn't feel aged in in the way that a lot of stuff from then does. Yeah. Um, what was the inspiration for that? Well, Mark uh, Mark Dancy worked on worked on. Uh, the U- University of Michigan humor mag called the Gargoyle. And he said it was like the only thing, like I, we all went to Michigan together. And uh, he said that was the, the best, the best part of his whole college career was, was <laughs> working for the Gargoyle. And, and so he knew how to do a magazine, you know, based on that. And it was a pretty good magazine. It was like, the, you know, U-, U of M's equivalent of the Harvard Lampoon or whatever. So from there, he and, this other guy that worked on the gargoyle said, Oh, let's, let's, you know, let's make a, a music magazine and, and just have comics and just kind of, kind of like had a, uh, sort of skeletal plan 
together of what what they did want to do and what they didn't want to do and didn't want to really want to do record reviews and and just be like a boring you know typical indie rock mag or whatever and talk about like stuff you know like Blowfly and like Funkadelic when no one talked about Funkadelic and there'd been no sort of renaissance all that kind of thing and mm-hmm. like Electric Miles Davis records and just you know anything anything interesting that we were into you know mm-hmm. and but there was one sort of specific thing that I have to mention about it that we always, we laugh about now and that was everyone involved in it and anyone we respected had to have had a, a background in hardcore and and you, just, you didn't rate if you didn't have a background in hardcore that's awesome and, all right but but listen but but even worse it was but if you were into hardcore now you were fucking lame it was like <laughs> definitely like this sort of hard line and so that's why we always kind of made fun of you know there's like all you know we made fun of that kind of stuff in the mag like a lot of inside jokes and and that was a great thing it was and it was a a really really fun time to, to uh sort of because we would create it together you know we we kind of write articles by committee a little bit mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and we'd have somebody we'd have somebody at the computer typing stuff in usually rob michaels because he's an amazing writer and so we would kind of like bat around these like concepts that weren't super concrete you know we were trying to make sense of certain things and he would he was really able to like get down on paper where we were going always you know he's in uh he was in bored youth Okay, yeah. Rob Michaels, all right. So, uh, and he uh, he's in that he's in that uh, freezer documentary. <laughs> so we're talking about why there was no chicks at hardcore gigs. We're like, yeah, because it's fucking hardcore. Like, who, who, who with any sense wants to be there? You know, because <laughs> because um, like, because women aren't that stupid. That's why they weren't there. What was the, uh, you know, like you mentioned? I'm just like, kidding about all that. Listen, I don't mean no. it. I, <laughs> I know. Don't worry. Don't worry. <laughs> uh, what was the, uh, what was the point uh, where you kind of thought hardcore got lame? Like, what was the point for you guys that was the cutoff? Like, was there a Man, specific record? You know, you I, let me, let me, before I tell you, let me uh, qualify it by saying that. I did at some point finally realize that nobody owns a sound. No, I absolutely, you know, I, okay. I totally get Yeah. All right. All right. Like, you know, it really, and, and, you know, have you heard that band Haram? Yeah. 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 Like, and I saw them recently and, and, you know, do you like the, that band Barcelona? Do you know who they are? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And they're just fucking fierce. Right. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, uh, so I'm aware of like modern hardcore and dig, you know, like if someone turns around or something, I'm like, yeah, you know, but, no, it's, I, but, it, but at one point it was definitely like, uh, and it was because I discovered free jazz and I discovered all this shit I thought was way more sort of out there than, than hardcore and, and hardcore kind of immediately got very sort of, uh, restrictive and, and just, the the, the mentality about it really kind of bummed me out mm-hmm. and that so so pick your king is the end what really yeah 
Wow. And no, 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 no. Pick your king's amazing. I'm saying yeah. that it it gets it it, it gets in. It, <laughs> It's you know what I'm saying. It's yeah. a great record. It's the end. Uh, I'm not saying it is the end. I'm saying that after that, it becomes hardcore. That's in, that's influenced mainly by hardcore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Al- almost almost immediately, it was it was backward looking. You know what I'm saying? Like it was it was uh, reflective more than than uh, uh, I don't know what would be. Well, it gets codified. Like you see, it yeah, happened with UK yeah. punk too, right? And like, say, and say like uh, by the time any of the hardcore, even by the time any of the original hardcore bands had albums out, you know, to me, I was concerned with a lot of other shit. Even though, like, you know, we played with hardcore bands, and I didn't, I didn't dislike it, but I, I just thought it was. Uh, I didn't, I didn't think it was an end. I thought it was a means. Mm-hmm. And so you get sort of to this point where, you know, it's it's just locked into in one thing. Uh, it's just was not that interesting to me. Um, but then you know, fuck it, man. No one owns a sound, and really, it just really exploded into all sorts of different things. And that's cool, and I'm I'm into it, and and you know, I got no problem. But I'm just saying, at one point, yeah. Dude, you saw the Grateful Dead at four years old. Like, I don't blame you for being jaded at a certain Dead, point. I saw the Grateful Dead with with the pig pen, which always yeah. blows deadheads' minds. Yeah, did they like did the, they play the Cream Puff cool War? Biker looking guy. Huh? Yeah, do, do you remember if they played Cream Puff War? I have no idea what they played. <laughs> That's my favorite. You know, I remember th- that was a Golden Road to Salvation or whatever that song that's on the first album. Yeah, almost like the first cut. Yeah, that's like a you know a song I remember from forever. You know, <laughs> but no, nah, I was never a deadhead. No, know? I know. No, but yeah. I just say you you had the right to be jaded by the by a certain point. You know, you it was you had earned that. Yeah, but you know what? I, I got to say that. As I've gotten older, I'm like way less cynical. I just approach things way more like childlike curiosity and no, and no, uh, you know, no sort of stuck up bullshit attitude. You know, I'm just way open to stuff and, and which is great. You know, I'm, it just gets better and better as, as you get older. Well, yeah. Cause I got to say an old man, that's some old man cliche, but yeah. (laughs) Well, this is where I enter your story a little bit because that night we hung out was the one of the coolest things ever. Like finding out that you liked fucked up uh, back when Hidden World came out. Like you were one of the first people, you know, certainly the first people that in like a legendary hardcore band that I think it expressed interest in us in any way, shape, or form. Oh yeah, so that right. made that made my my career in a major <laughs> okay. way. So I really appreciate right. that. Well, thank you very much. Uh, and you got to come back I for part two. Listen, I won't be, I won't be a jag off like Mick Harvey. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, you don't want to right. wind up uh, being shark bait. Stoked, stoked that you're into it, man. Uh, well, and I you're going to come podcast, back for man. It's a great, great. Uh, it's always entertaining, even oh. if I don't know the people. It's usually an entertaining story. Oh well, Barry, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, right on. All right. Thank you, Barry, for coming on the show. And you heard right there, 
Barry will be back for some part twos in, in the future because there's a lot more to talk about. I didn't even get to the Lars stuff, you know? I did not get to the Lars sitting in the drum kit, get his memories of it because, well, uh, we, that's what part twos are for. That's exactly what part twos are for. You know, I got to leave something for that part two. Did I talk about sex drive? Always want to talk about that thing. Okay, that's it. Now on to next week's show. So next week, things are going to be a little bit different. We're getting towards the end of the year. So we're going to have a bunch of... Um, kind of cool recap stuff happening. Uh, we're going to be doing a big Turn Out of Punk mailbag clear-out special. The two Daves will be back for that. Uh, Chris and I will be doing our picks of the best episode of the year uh, and our favorite episodes of the year and just kind of reminiscing over those things. And um, I, I will have something surprise, a special um, holiday treat dropping uh, uh, by way of sort of a lost episode that I've recently rediscovered and I'm going to be putting that up there. And yeah, that's, so we've got a lot of stuff coming up this uh, next few weeks. And then after that, after the holidays and everything, Danger Aaron from Jackass will be on the show for what I feel may very well be one of the best episodes of this podcast ever done. It is amazing. It's it's really one of the best shows ever of Turned Out of Punk. Um, Aaron's one of my favorite people to get to talk to. So you'll hear it all in a few weeks. In January, and then coming up, I think we have six more episodes now. Yep, yep, six episodes. And then it's episode 200 for Turned Out of Punk. We're going to have a lot of cool stuff around episode 200. I haven't done any anniversaries for a little while. I haven't done, you know, I didn't celebrate a lot of that kind of, you know, monumental stuff in this podcast because I've been gearing up for episode 200. Episode 200, we're going to be doing um, kind of a relaunch. You know, not much is going to change. If you're a fan of the show and the way it is, don't worry. You're still going to get turned out of punk. But we're going to do, uh, we're going to change things up on, with episode 200. So that's coming up in a few short episodes. So six episodes, these two kind of recap weeks. So like eight weeks, eight weeks. So yeah, big stuff happening all the way up to that. And then after that, you know, we got, I'm not going to not deliver. Yes, granted, I took a week off because of touring. But apart from that, you know, I'm not not going to deliver to you guys. So uh, that's coming up in the next few weeks. So thank you, everyone out there for listening. I appreciate it. Thank you for the feedback. Remember, you can send those emails to uh, footnotes at gmail.com. We're going to be going through that mailbag for a special mailbag clear out. Anything you want to talk about from the show. Uh, sorry it's been so dude heavy lately. I promise you that's going to change in the next few weeks. But yeah. That is it for this week. Thank you, everyone, for listening, and I will see you next week. Sign your organ donor cards and go out there and make your own culture. Bye, everyone.